Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Hebrews 1, verses 5 through 14. For which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same in your eyes. And your ears, ears will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Hebrews 1, verses 5 through 14. Well, good morning. Glad you made it out through the, the snow. <laughs> Not too much, but uh, just enough that they could have kept you home, so we're glad you're here today. Um, Andrew mentioned earlier, next week is our, our business meeting, our annual business meeting. We hope you can stay. Uh, if you're a member, we exhort you to stay. But even if you're not a member, please, uh, it's a great way to... Uh, this is the, if you only go to one business meeting a year, this is the one you should go to. This is, uh, this is the one we'll kind of do a quick look back uh, to, on things God did last year. Um, I'm actually going to be presenting on behalf of the board uh, a summary of that, I don't know how many remember this, but we did a ministry survey as a congregation uh, close to a year ago, and, uh, and we uh, worked with a consultant to get some feedback on that. We have a presentation that I'll do. It'll be, you know, only about 10 minutes or so, but that'll be part of the meeting next week, uh, looking at a budget for 2023. So, so uh, we encourage you to stay um, as uh, an enticement. There will be a lunch before that, uh, sponsored by our youth ministry. This is something we used to do for years and years, and we kind of uh, got away from it because of uh, our old friend COVID there, but um, we're able to, to redo that this year. So our youth ministry will be putting on a, a, a soup luncheon, and um, like Andrew said, you can throw some uh, to throw a gift in, in the basket to, toward their summer mission project would be uh, wonderful as well. And the other thing I was going to say about uh, the uh, business meeting is simply that the written reports are available now. So uh, those are in the fellowship hall. There's a stack of them on a table where there's some other literature. You can grab yourself a, a written report so you can read those ahead of time, look at the budget proposal from the board. And um, oh, I was also going to say that if you would like an electronic copy, just email us here in the office and we can send you an electronic copy if you're like, written report that's so 1990s or whatever, uh, we can definitely send you a, a digital copy of that and you can read it on your iPad or your phone or whatever you prefer. So, 
All right, let's pray. Let's ask for the Lord's help as we get into this morning's text. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for bringing us out today. Thank you for the, the life and the breath and the strength and the desire to, uh, to be together. Thank you for our friends online, though, Lord. They're, they're worshiping you. Uh, we're worshiping you. And as we hear your word together this morning, uh, we would uh, ask you to, uh, to exalt Jesus in our hearts, uh, in our minds, in our lives. Uh, may he be high and lifted up, which is so much the intent of this passage. And so I would just ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. According to the Pew Research Center, kind of a, one of those big uh, groups that does important studies, according to the Pew Research Center, 41% of Americans believe in psychics. 41%. 33% of Americans believe in reincarnation. So this is the general adult population. 41% believe in psychics. 33% believe in reincarnation. 29% believe in astrology. That's the general American adult population. Here's the surprising part, though. Those percentages are not a whole lot different for Bible-believing Christians. When uh, Pew puts uh, the same questions and they kind of sort by people who said, basically who self-identify as evangelicals. And so that would be people who say they believe the Bible is God's word. When, when those people are, answer the same question, uh, 33% believe in psychics compared to 41% in the general population. 19% of evangelicals believe in reincarnation. Uh, and 18% believe in astrology. Which means if you applied those numbers to this room on a typical Sunday morning, 30 of us checked our horoscope last week, and about 50 of us have thought about going to a psychic. Now, hopefully that's not the case. Uh, everybody's like looking around, you know, is it you? Is it... <laughs> I like to hope that we beat the averages on that kind of thing. Uh, but here's why I start with those numbers. I'm not starting there to kind of make somebody feel bad. I, I start there because I think those numbers help us understand why this passage is so important. Because you look at a passage, you heard Kurt read it a moment ago, we're going to spend our, our half hour or so in these, in these verses, and it's easy to look at those verses and go, yeah, yeah, Jesus is greater than the angels, of course he is, and, and say that it doesn't really matter, but it does matter. What, what the author of Hebrews is putting in front of us here in the second half of chapter 1 is very, very important precisely because of those sorts of numbers. Last week, we started a new series in the book of Hebrews, and we introduced this series by talking about the supremacy of Jesus. Jesus is greater than everything. That's what the first four verses are about. We specifically talked about how Jesus is the supreme revelation of God. God speaks most clearly in and through Jesus Christ. So, so now the author is going to develop this point. Here's what he's doing in the early chapters of Hebrews. He's going to show how Jesus is supreme over everything by showing us this in specific sectors or in specific areas. And, and he's going to start here in, the, in today's passage with the cosmic powers. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how Jesus is far greater than every cosmic power. So last week was the overview. Jesus is greater than everything. Uh, now it's, it's the cosmic powers specifically. And this is where the angels come in. Uh, last week, uh, I, I pointed out, as we kind of just did some introductory stuff, that Hebrews is uh, the original audience for this, this book we're studying. The original, original audience was Jewish Christians. 
So yes, the Gentiles, they, they listened in too, but, uh, but when the author sat down to write this book, he was thinking very specifically about Jews, ethnic Jews who had grown up in Judaism and had converted to Christ. They'd come to know Jesus. And so the, a lot of the book is, is, is um, through that lens, and you'll see as we go along what we mean by that. And so as far as they're concerned, as far as Jewish Christians are concerned, angels are the greatest of the cosmic powers. See, and that was from a Jewish worldview. That's what they understood. They, they knew better than to, to worship the idols that the Gentiles were worshiping. You know, the Jews kind of looked down on the Gentiles for all that kind of stuff. They knew better than to worship the idols. But there's some pretty good evidence that by the first century, some Jews had begun to become kind of distracted uh, by, by angels. And this would have been true for um, non-Christian Jews as well as some of the Christian Jews. Uh, there, again, there's just some, some evidence for this that angels had become more important than the Bible wants them to be in some of those people's minds. And that's probably what the author is, why he, he's here. It's, it's the issue he's addressing here. Um, some scholars call it a cult of angels, whether you like that term or not. I, I think it's, it's what's lying behind this, this, uh, this tendency to make more of angelic powers than they should. So he's, he's, he's walking them through this to make sure they don't do it. He wants his readers and he wants us to understand Jesus is greater than the angels. But at the same time, the point he's making is bigger than just angels, right? It's bigger than just angels. It applies to all the cosmic powers that any human being might be uh, tempted to, to, uh, to worship or to imagine or to exalt above Jesus or alongside Jesus, real or imagined. He's greater than all of them. And so this applies to the, to the pagan gods, you know, to use that term, uh, you know, the, the Greek pan, pantheon and the Roman pantheon and all that. Uh, it applies to demons and to devils, uh, Jesus is greater than they are. It applies to horoscopes and psychics and gurus and ghosts and, and whatever else people say they believe in in, in all those kinds of surveys. Uh, the logic of this passage is, is that if Jesus is greater than angels, which are the greatest of all those things, then he's greater than them all, which is how I'm going to mostly talk about it this morning. Jesus is greater than every cosmic power that exists. As I say, real or imagined, he's greater than them all. And what I want to show you this morning, we're just going to walk through the verses, and I want to show you 10 ways that's true. Uh, the author of Hebrews packs a lot. Our lists are long in these first two passages, uh, the, the last week's and this week's. Uh, he packs a lot in here, and there is a lot. It's 10 ways, 10 ways Jesus is greater than the angels, and therefore greater than all cosmic powers. And as we go through this list, you'll see uh, three of them have to do with the angels. It's three things that are about the angels specifically, and then the other seven are all about Jesus. So 10 ways, we'll, we'll put them all together, 10 ways Jesus is greater than all the cosmic powers. Number one. Jesus is greater than the cosmic powers because Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He just goes there first, right? A lot of times an author will build to his best, his, his strongest piece of evidence, but, but this time he just goes, he, he rolls out the biggest cannon he's got, and he says Jesus is greater than the angels because Jesus is God. Uh, that's verse 5. So verse 5 he says, for to which of the angels, and he's keying right off of verse 4 where he said Jesus has a name that's superior to all the angels, and then he says, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So one of the first things we notice about this passage is that it's filled with quotes. 
So if you just look at it there in your Bible, if you've got a paper Bible today, you look at that. Um, it's filled with quotations. There's actually seven. So we only have 10 verses in today's passage, and there's seven different quotes from uh, the Old Testament. And that is where they come from. He's not quoting uh, philosophers. Uh, there's seven quotes from the Old Testament. Five of them are from the Psalms. One of them is from the book of Deuteronomy, and one of them is from 2 Samuel. All right, so five from Psalms, one from 2 Samuel, one from Deuteronomy. And so what the author's doing is he's using these passages from Scripture, right? He's taking God's word and he's proving his assertion. He's proving his point that Jesus is greater than the angels. So verse 5 has two. Verse 5 has two of our seven quotes. They're, they're both short ones. Uh, and I'm, I'm gonna act, I'm, we're not going to look these all up, but I'm going to tell you where they all are. So if you want to, you could write it down. You can go look them up yourself on your own time. Um, if, but, so that'll be, so like I said, we're not going to look at them, but I will tell you where they all come from. So the first of the, of the seven comes from uh, Psalm 2. It's Psalm 2, verse 7. And Psalm 2 is uh, one of the, the classic messianic psalms. Uh, messianic psalm is, a, is, and there's a bunch of them, uh, several of them in, in the Psalter. Uh, it's, a, it's a psalm that contains prophecies about the Messiah. So we call it a messianic psalm. It's not only about the Messiah, but there's all these, these things that look forward to when the Messiah comes. And in Psalm 2, when you get to verse 7, uh, the Messiah is talking. He's talking, and, and, and he says, The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So if you look up Psalm 2, verse 7, that's what it says. The Lord said to me, so it's the voice of the Messiah, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So uh, this does not mean, it would be easy to misunderstand this word begotten, uh, it does not mean that the son was born. So there was some point at which Jesus did not exist and then he was born in eternity uh, up there. Uh, that's not what, how begotten is used here. What it means is God is acknowledging the relationship. So God's acknowledging and declaring what has, the, God the Father is acknowledging and declaring what has eternally been true. That the Son, that the, that the Messiah, because it's a Messianic Psalm, the second person of the Trinity is how we would describe it, is, is God's Son. And so he's, 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 he's his son, right? So that's this, this lift up, this, this um, high status, this exalted status. Uh, the author asks, what angel did God ever say that to? To which of the angels did God ever say that? And the answer is none. God never says to the angels. He calls the angels as a group sons, right? They're, they're in the same way you and I are, are sons and daughters of God. Uh, but uh, actually, it's in a different way. But, uh, but, it's, but they're, it's plural. They're sons. It's a, it's a smaller status. But Jesus is the son. He's the son. And so he's, he's greater. He's put up above them there. Uh, this is emphasized by the second quote. So the other one is the second half of verse 5. That one comes from 2 Samuel. So if you want to look it up, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, it'll be verse 14. Uh, that chapter is a very important chapter. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is an important chapter in the Bible. They're all important because it's the Bible. But this one's in, in, important in terms of God's story because it records the Davidic covenant. So we call it the Davidic covenant. That's where God promises David, that one of his descendants will sit on the throne of Israel forever, right? So that's the Davidic covenant. Uh, God uh, makes that promise to, to, the, to the Messiah. So that's how it was rightly understood. And so it's about Jesus. So 2 Samuel 7, it's about David and his descendants, but it's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And verse 14 says something very similar. It says, uh, here the father is talking. 
It says, I will be to him a father, and he, the Messiah, that ultimate descendant of David, shall be to me a son. So I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. So Jesus is the son. The angels are servants. I don't know if you caught my title this morning, to the, you know, the servants and the son. Angels are servants. In fact, that's what angel means. The word angel means messenger. What do messengers do? Messengers take words from someone else. A messenger is inherently a servant of some kind because that messenger isn't speaking for himself. He's speaking for the one whose message he bears. Right? So that's what I am right now. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a servant of the word and of the Lord. Uh, that's, what a, that's what an angel is. An angel is inherently a servant but Jesus is the son. And so that's where he starts. And so he addresses him. So, okay, so he's the son. What does that mean? It means he's God. And that's the connection the text makes. You see it in verse eight. We'll look at verse eight a little closely, a little more closely in a minute. But if you just look at verse eight of the son, God says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And so in verse eight, God addresses the son and he calls him God. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So Jesus is the Son, and because Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is God. And so like I say, it's, it's actually the author's strongest piece of evidence. It's the author's strongest piece of evidence for all of this. Jesus is greater than angels because Jesus is God and angels are not. Right? So we could stop here, actually. The author could have stopped. Point proven, QED, end of discussion. Jesus is God, Jesus is greater than the angels. Uh, he doesn't stop, though. He's got nine more things he wants to say, so uh, we'll follow, uh, follow his lead and look at them. Uh, let's look at what else he says. Why else is Jesus greater? Well, number two, uh, Jesus is greater than the angels because the angels worship Jesus. <laughs> the angels worship him. That's what it says in verse 6. So, verse 6. And again, He's going to keep saying this again, and, and, again. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says that he being God, uh, firstborn there is used in the same way begotten is, by the way, and so it's a status. It's not describing him being born. Uh, when he brings the begotten, the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Let all God's worship, uh, angels worship the Son. Uh, this is the quotation that comes from Deuteronomy. It's Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43. Um, this one is actually, if you look it up in English, if you do go look it up in English, Deuteronomy 32, 43, it actually won't say angels in your English Bible. It'll say something else. And the reason for that is that this author, the author of Hebrews, is actually, he's not quoting the Hebrew Bible that our Bibles are translated from. He's actually quoting the Greek translation. So it's a little more technical than most people care to hear, but um, the, the Greek translation is called the Septuagint, and, it's a, and basically the author decides to quote the Septuagint rather than the Hebrew Bible, and he would have been very familiar. The Septuagint was very popular in the first century. It's a little bit like when a pastor quotes, you know, I usually preach from the ESV, but maybe I'll quote from the NIV once in a while, because the NIV, I think, has, captures the sense of it better. Uh, that's what the author does here. And so if you're like, wait a minute, that verse 6 doesn't line up with Deuteronomy 32, 43, that's why. The author is quoting the Septuagint. But, the, but it doesn't contradict it. It's just that the, the Septuagint is more specific than what you'll find in, in, the, in the Deuteronomy that's in our, in our Bibles. It takes a general term, really it's very close to cosmic powers, and, and it says angels. And so he grabs that and he says, look, the angels are told to worship the Son. Right? That's his point. 
right? And so Jesus doesn't worship them. They worship him. So who should we worship? We should worship him, right? Why would you worship the ones, why would you worship angels when you could worship the ones the angels worship? That, that's the point of verse six. So is Jesus greater than the angels? Yes. Angels worship Jesus, right? That's the point of verse six. Number three, right? So there's another way. Here's another one. Uh, Jesus is also greater than the angels because the angels serve Jesus, right? So should we make much of angels? No. Why? Because angels just serve. They're just servants. Angels serve Jesus. That's verse seven. Of the angels, he says, God says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. So this one comes from a psalm now. Uh, This is Psalm 104. In fact, the rest of them are going to come from psalms. Uh, Psalm 104, verse 4. And that, if you looked it up, it'll say, he makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. Talking about angels. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. Angels are pretty cool. We need to say that in here somewhere. They are powerful beings, right? Angels are powerful beings. Uh, They often appear in uh, in fire, right? Or bathed in light. That's this idea. His ministers are a flaming fire. Uh, If you think of the different uh, passages in the Old Testament where angels are, are, where you see angels, uh, they're they're often glowing. There's people who often will fall down in fear and or in a, a tendency to want to worship them because they're so glorious looking. Uh, They're also spirit beings. That's this idea from the psalm. He makes his messengers winds. Uh, They can come and go in a way that you and I can't, right? They are not limited. They're not infinite, but they're also not limited by time and space the same way you you and I are, especially by space, right? They're not limited the way we are. And so in, uh, you know, Christmas is still sort of fresh in our minds. Remember what happens over Bethlehem when Jesus is born, right? It's a quiet night. Suddenly there's an angel. Whoa, where'd he come from? And then suddenly there's thousands of angels. Whoa, where'd they come from? They don't have to kind of travel there. They can just go, they can just be there, and then they can leave again. And so angels are amazing, right? None of the stuff we're saying today is kind of saying, oh, angels, they're like, you know, little puppies or something. No, they're in some ways terrifying creatures. They're amazing, amazing creatures, but they're still just servants, Right? This is what the author of Hebrews wants us to see. Yeah, they're, men, they're, they're amazing, Psalm 104, verse 4, but they're just servants. They're his messengers, the psalm says. They're his ministers, and that word means servants. And so Jesus is greater, right? Why? Because the lesser serves the greater. That's how it works. The lesser serves the greater. Jesus, uh, the angels serve Jesus, therefore Jesus is greater. Number four, here's another one. Uh, Jesus is also greater than the angels because Jesus is king. Jesus is king. We kind of sang it before. Jesus is king. And so now the author goes back to Jesus. So we had uh, one thing about Jesus and then two things about angels. Now he comes back to Jesus, and and it's a contrast. So he's talked about the angels. Now he's going to make a contrast here. So I'll actually go back to verse 7 just so we hear the contrast. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels wind and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, God says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. So the angels are servants. Verse 7, Jesus is king. And we know that he's king because he has all the king things. It actually doesn't say he's king. It just describes him having the king things. And so he has a throne, Right? Kings sit on a throne. Uh, he has a scepter. What's a scepter? A scepter is a ceremonial weapon. 
that symbolizes a king's authority. So I don't get to have a scepter. None of us get to have scepters. It's something that a king wields. And so it's a kingly weapon. Uh, And so Jesus has a throne. Kings sit on thrones. He has a scepter. Kings wield scepters. Uh, And then he also has a kingdom. It's there at the last part of what I read. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And so he has a throne. He has a scepter. He has a, a kingdom. All of that makes Jesus the king. That's, that quote, by the way, I didn't tell you where it comes from yet, comes from Psalm 47. Psalm 47, verses 6 and 7. Uh, this is another messianic psalm. It's another one of those psalms that has a prophecy in advance about the Messiah. But it also had a function in its own time. Its function was also, it was actually a royal wedding song. So when a king of Israel would get married, Psalm 47, we believe, was part of the, part of the liturgy. It was actually used that way. And so if I was preaching Psalm 47 in its own, if that was our text today, I would actually, we would launch from that. We would talk about the relationship between Christ and his church. Uh, He's the king, you know, he's the groom. We're his bride. He's the king. Um, We could talk about all of that, but that's not what author, that's not what the author of Hebrews wants to talk about. He's just emphasizing the kingship. And so he, he grabs this Psalm. Who uses this Psalm? The king uses this Psalm. And so Jesus is the king. He's the fulfillment of, of that, that part of the messianic prophecies too. He's, he's the king. He's king. And by definition, kings are greater than their servants. Right? That, that's, that's how it works. And so, again, we've got another, another angle on this. Am I, am I tempted to lift up some, some power above Jesus? Well, I better not be because Jesus is the king and all the other powers answer to him. Number five, uh, here's another way Jesus is greater. He's also greater than the angels and all the cosmic powers because he's righteous. That's the next one the author emphasizes. He's righteous. You see, Jesus isn't just any king. He's the righteous king. He's the righteous king. And that's what the the next part of verse 9 says. Uh, This quote from Psalm 45 extends uh, into verse 9 as well. It's all of verse 9. And so of the Son, God says, uh, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, calls him God. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness. So God talking to the Messiah, you have loved righteousness and you have hated wickedness. Jesus is also morally superior to the angels. That's the claim here. He's morally superior to them. Uh, He's holy, right? So it's this term righteous. He's holy, he's set apart, he's just, he never sins, he never rebels, he never rejects the Father's will. Uh, In fact, it's the opposite. He loves righteousness and hates wickedness. He always does what's right. That is not true about angels. That's not true about angels. Angels are not morally perfect. In fact, the Bible tells us that a full third of the angels rebelled against God. They turned flat out, just turned against him. And we don't know all the details. There's only a few verses that that describe it, so we only know what we know. But at some point in the distant past, an angel, an angel named Lucifer, tried to overthrow God. And he didn't just do it by himself. A full third of the whole angelic host joined him in that rebellion. So one third. And that angel, that Lucifer, you probably recognize him more as Satan. That Satan, the devil, that's, that's fallen Lucifer. And, and, and so the, the fall of Lucifer and the fall of the angels with him, it proves that angels are capable of sinning. And, and we, don't, we don't actually have full information on whether they still can. Could there be another re- rebellion like that? I don't think the scripture says. Uh, but but uh, intrinsically, in terms of their nature, angels are capable of sinning. 
but Jesus is not, right? So we're not really doing a lot of angelology here because mostly this is always, everything that's said about angels here is meant to offset so that we see something about Jesus. That's not true about Jesus. Jesus is not capable of sinning. No, on on the contrary, he loves righteousness and hates wickedness. In his very being, in the very nature of who he is, he's morally perfect. And that also makes him greater, it makes him greater, right? So it's not just, when we talk about Jesus being greater than the cosmic powers, we're not only talking about his power and authority, we're also talking about his nature. He is, he is, you know, is God good? Yes, God is good. He's perfectly good. Jesus is greater in that way as well. Here's another one, number six. Uh, he's also greater than the angels because he's exalted. So God has exalted him. He's lifted him up. And that's uh, the last part of verse 9. It's the last part of the quote from the royal marriage song. Uh, Therefore, God, your God, uh, and again, calls him God again there in verse 9. I think it echoes what happened at the beginning there in 8. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And so basically what that's saying is God raised him up. God exalted Jesus. And it comes from this idea of being anointing, uh, anointed. When a king is anointed, it's lifting him up. It's saying, this is the one. This is the one God has chosen. And so it's part of the coronation. Uh, and, it, and it actually, is, some of these are, a couple of these things we're talking about this morning, we talked about last week. So if I'm repeating myself, it's because the author's repeating himself. Uh, we talked about this last week in verse 3. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It's the same points being made here in this verse. Or I quoted Philippians 2, 9 last week. I'll quote it again. God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that's above every other name. Same thing here in verse 9. He's exalted beyond, he's anointed beyond his companions. But who's his companions? I think it's humanity. And you could make the case it's also the the angelic beings. He's exalted above all of them. They're not peers. It's not a peer-to-peer relationship. He's, he's exalted uh, above them. So Jesus is exalted. That also makes him greater than all the cosmic powers. He's exalted above all of them. Number seven, uh, it starts to feel like he's piling on, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, seriously, he could have stopped after number one. But I think the issue here is that Jesus is so great. I mean, and this is, I hope if you come away with anything this morning, I hope it's just this. Jesus is great. He's so great. That it's almost like the author can't stop himself. As the, author, as the Holy Spirit is working through him, he's like, and here's another way he's greater. And here's another way he's greater. So number seven, here's a number, another way he's greater. He's also the creator. Jesus is the creator. And that also makes him greater than the angels. That's in verse 10. Uh, and here comes another proof, he says. And. Uh, you, Lord, talking to Jesus, and you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hand, your hands. So these next three verses, if you're looking at your Bible, 10, 11, and 12, uh, they all come from uh, another psalm. It's Psalm 102, verses 25, 26, and 27. So this is a little bit of a longer quote. And uh, Psalm 102, if you, if you take the time to look at it, it's, it's a longer psalm, and it's a prayer for help. Psalm 102, the whole thing is a prayer for help in time of affliction. And as part of that prayer, as the psalmist is writing this out and, and praying through it, and part of where he's drawing strength from is he reflects on God's power in the creation, including the verses that are quoted here, including the fact that he made it. Right, so not only does God control the creation, uh, he's, he made the creation. He created the creation is kind of the idea. 
And so again, this echoes something we talked about last week. Jesus is the creator. Right? He made everything. I think it was in verse 2 it was. Or, uh, yeah, it was in verse 2. He, at the end of verse 2, he created all things. Uh, he made everything. <clears throat> in this verse, here in verse 10, it, it's an incredible picture if you look at it. He, he laid the foundations of the earth, and, and he did the finish work in the heavens. Right? So you know, it's almost like building a house from scratch. Right? He, he started with the foundations, and then when he got all done, he decorated it with the stars. Right? From start to finish, from beginning to end, he did it all. All of it is his handiwork, including the angels. Right? I got to keep bringing us back to that because that's the point in the text. Right? We're not talking about environment or, or something like that today. He's talking very specifically about angels. Jesus is greater than the angels and any other cosmic power because Jesus created the angels and any other cosmic power. And so again, why would we worship angels when we can worship the one who made the angels? Why would we do that? Why would we seek guidance from a horoscope when we can go to the one who made the stars? Right? Go, go, to the, go to the author. Go to the one who made the stars. Why would we ask help from a psychic when we can go to the one who made the psychic, who gives the psychic life and breath? Why would we go to the lesser? Why would we go to the lesser when we're invited to come to the greater? That, that's the issue here. So Jesus, and Jesus alone is the creator. Number eight, he is also greater than the angels. Here's another way, because he's eternal. Jesus is eternal. And that's what you get in the the rest of the, the quote from Psalm 102. It's verses 11 and 12. So talking about the earth and the heavens. So talking about creation. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Created things have an expiration date. Created things have an expiration date. They perish. They wear out. Right? Some take longer than others, but they all wear out. Right? And, and the picture he uses is a piece of clothing. Right? It's, a, it's, it's like a piece of clothing. The heavens, the heavens are like a garment. They wear out like a garment. Um, I'm, I'm probably not alone in this, but uh, I, I like to hold on to clothes as long as I can. And uh, I, mostly because I don't like to shop, but also because uh, they, they become comfortable, right? You, you got an old shirt or an old sweater, something like that, and, and it just fits you the way you like, and, and you like the way it looks, you like the way it feels, but it wears out, right? It becomes threadbare, it becomes faded, and after a while you can't wear it anymore because you start to embarrass your wife when you're seen out in public. And, and that's, that's what he's saying here about all of creation. No matter, it, it's not that it's bad. Right, so that's my point. It's not that, that the creation is bad when he says this. He's not saying that it's a bad thing or it's evil that because it wears out. It's just the nature of it. All of it uh, wears out. The whole creation's like that, the, the, the claim is here. But not Jesus. Again, most of what he said here, he says in this text, is all meant to show us something about Jesus. That's not true of Jesus. Jesus doesn't wear out. No, Jesus is eternal. They will perish, but you remain. Right? They will perish, but you, the heavens and the earth will, will be rolled up like a worn-out sweater that's got too many holes to wear anymore. But Jesus, Jesus is the same forever. And so again, he's greater. Right? All the cosmic powers, all of them, they're, they're, either, either they're imaginary, emanating from the human imagination, or, or they're real, and there's the spiritual forces we can't see. Either way, they're created, which makes them finite and limited. Not Jesus. Jesus is infinite. He's unlimited. He's eternal. Number nine, 
We're almost there. Number nine, Jesus is also greater than the cosmic powers because he is victorious. He's victorious. That's the point of the last quote. So seven quotes. Here's number seven. Uh, It's there in verse uh, 13. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? He repeats that same way he started back in verse 5. To which of the angels did God ever say this? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Uh, This one comes from Psalm 110. So this last quote comes from Psalm 110. It's the first verse of Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is probably the most famous of the Messianic Psalms. In fact, uh, it's actually the most quoted. So if you ever played Bible trivia games or you ever want to look smart at a... I was going to say cocktail party. I don't know if we go to cocktail parties, but if you ever want to look smart at a a Bible study, uh, you could just roll out and say... (laughs) Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. It's quoted, I forget how many of the New Testament books, it's like a majority of them, quote some part of Psalm 110 because it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's so um, augustly raises up Jesus as the Messiah in different ways. The first verse is the one he quotes here. The point of the first verse is that he wins. He wins. And so not only is Jesus the king, which we kind of established earlier from a different psalm, but he's the victorious king. And so he's not some ceremonial king. Like There are nations today that still have kings, but they're ceremonial kings. Jesus is no ceremonial king. He rules by right. He rules by right of conquering, right? He has defeated his enemies, it says. And so his enemies will, if you look at what it says there, I'll read it again. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Here's what I'm going to do for you, God says. I'm going to make your enemies, Jesus, a footstool for your feet. And so his enemies are going to bow down before him. This isn't some negotiated peace where each side gives a little bit so they can stop fighting. No, Jesus will com- conquer them completely. Uh, he's even going to, the, the picture here, and, and some of this has been done already on the cross, and then there's the fullness of the fruition of it. We're waiting for him in his, on his second coming, so it's kind of a now and not yet sort of a thing. Uh, but, but the picture for his victory, uh, he's going to put his feet up on their backs, right? I mean, he's like kicking back, putting his feet up and resting, and they're like kneeling before him is, is what they would have to do for that to work. And so I, I don't know if he's actually going to do that or if it's just a metaphor for for his victory, but the point is it's complete subjugation. Anyone who would, in, in all creation, it would make him or her or itself an enemy of Jesus is going to lose. His enemies lose and he wins. And so the angels that I talked about earlier that rebelled against Jesus, they lose. They lose. The humans that rebel against Jesus, they lose. The governments, the nations, the empires that rebel against Jesus, they lose. He and he alone is the victor. And that makes him greater. That also makes him greater. Finally, number 10. Uh, Jesus is also greater than the angels because the angels are under orders to help us. And this last one is is maybe the most personal one for us in a way. Anyway, uh, angels are under orders from Jesus to help little old you and me. They help us. And that's that's where this part ends. Uh, Verse 14. Are they, talking about the angels... Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So of all the points we've talked about this morning, this is the only one that does not come from a quote. Everything else was established from an Old Testament text, 
But this one, the author just says. He just says on apostolic authority. He says, after all, angels are, are servants, right? So it's, they're ministering spirits. We established that back in number three. So they're servants. They're ministering spirits. And part of their service is that they do what Jesus sends them to do. Right, so Jesus is put in the, 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 um, the strong one's position, the position of authority. He sends them. So angels don't get to freelance. Right? Angels don't get to do what they want to do. They take orders from Jesus. That's what he says there. So he sends them out. And then look at the, the last part, though. Look at who they're sent to serve. So he sends them out to serve. Look at who they serve. They serve us. Right? They, they, they are sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Who inherits salvation? Us. That, uh, Jesus is our inheritance. It's talked about all over the place. I remember it coming up in 1 John. It's in, actually, this author is going to talk about it later, I'm pretty sure. Uh, cry, our salvation in Jesus, it's not the only thing we receive from him, but if it was the only thing, it would be more than enough. Uh, we get to spend eternity with Jesus. Our inheritance is our salvation. And so we're the ones who are inheriting salvation. And so verse 14 says, Jesus sits on the throne of heaven and he sends angels to serve us. To serve us doesn't go into what, right? So I'm not going to speculate. I'm not a big fan of speculating when there's not a reason to. Uh, and so it doesn't say what they do for us, but they serve. They serve God's purposes in our lives. And so that makes Jesus greater too. Again, he's got, he's got us. He's got his, his people. And he says to the angels, you go help them. Go help them. And so Jesus, again, Jesus is, is greater. And he uses his greatness. What does he use his greatness for? He uses his greatness to help us. That, that's a pretty important point, too. Well, I want to close with a, just a simple question. It's a, you know, this is a pretty densely theological sermon in, in many ways, you know, kind of a lot of, of uh, things to look at there as we look at the exaltation of Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus. But I just want to ask here at the end, what do we do with all that? So, so what do we do with all that? I mean, if Jesus is far greater than any power, and he is, then, then what do we do? Well, let me give you a three-part answer to this, and I, I think all three of these come from what we've talked about today. First, uh, the, the, the stuff I, I started with, the stuff I began with this morning, we don't need it. We don't need it. And so if you are ever tempted by any of that, horoscopes, psychics, Ouija boards, the occult, uh, the paranormal, any of that kind of stuff, if you're ever tempted by it, don't be. Just stay away from it. Jesus, Jesus is greater than all that stuff. Usually people are going to that kind of stuff because they want guidance or they want uh, some access to power. Or Go to the one who's got the real power. Go to the one who's got the real wisdom and the real, uh, the real authority. And let me say this too. If you have a history with any of that, and I know some do, right? People, we, we get into things before we come to Jesus and sometimes even after. If you have a history with any of that and... Uh, and, and sometimes it'll come up and it'll trouble you, almost haunt you is the word I'm, I'm tempted to use. Don't let it. Don't let it haunt you. Don't let it trouble you. Jesus broke the bonds of all of that stuff. He set you free from all of it. And he's greater. Right? You say, well, I used to do this and I used to do that. Yeah, but he's greater than what you used to do. So Jesus is greater. So, so we don't need that stuff. And we don't have to be uh, troubled by that stuff either. Second, what else do we need to do with this text? Second, uh, we need to worship. <laughs> We need to worship Jesus. It's an emphasis here in this passage. Uh, if the angels worship Jesus, as powerful as they are, as glorious as they are, then we should too. So we should worship. 
We should worship Jesus. Uh, that's why we sing, right? We don't sing because we love music so much. We enjoy music, but that's not why Christians sing. Christians sing because he deserves our praise. And so we should sing. We should, we should shout in the right circumstances. We should uh, declare his praises, de- declare them every way we can. And so if you like to write poetry, write poems of praise. Uh, if you like to run, run for his glory. If you like walking in nature while you're out there, tell Jesus what a great job he did. I had to walk around the, the quarry out there, around Schilberg, can, can turn into a praise. Right? Just my, my compliments to the chef. Right? What a beautiful day you've made today. What a beautiful day this is. That's worship. That's worship. So it takes all kinds of different forms, but it needs to be part of our lives because of what we've talked about this morning. You can worship him. And then third, we need to serve him. So we don't need the other stuff. We do need to worship, and we do need to, to serve. After all, if angels serve Jesus... As great as they are, and they're pretty great, then we should, we should serve Jesus too. So make sure you're serving him. And again, we're not talking about being saved. When, I, when, we, when we start talking about serving God and, and doing the Lord's will in our lives, we're saved by grace and grace alone. We're saved by, by faith through grace or by, by grace through faith, right? We're saved by grace and grace alone. But now that we're saved, there's plenty to do. There's plenty of ways for us to serve Jesus. And so I encourage you and I encourage myself to, to think about our lives that way. Right? What's my part? What, what are you calling me to do, Lord? How are you calling me to serve you? There's so many ways for us to approach our lives that way when we have, uh, have that mindset about us. Obviously, we can serve in the church. You expect a guy in a, in, a, in a pastor to say that. And yes, serving in the church is absolutely an important part of it, but it is by no means the only way. So many ways for us to serve the Lord. We can serve him in our community. Right? And I, many of you do already and, and think that way. I encourage you to keep thinking that way. If you lead something or serve in something or do something in the community, do that as unto the Lord. We make the world a better place. That's that whole salt and light picture from, from the Sermon on the Mount. Serve him that way. Serve him in your work. Serve him in your families. I'm convinced, you know, if you have children, that is a huge part of your service to the Lord. You're not just a babysitter. You're serving the Lord by, taking, by raising your children in the Lord for those to whom that applies. So many ways. The point is our answers to the question are going to be different, but we all need to answer the question. We all need to answer the question, how am I called to serve the Lord? Because if we belong to him, we need to do what the angels do. We need to serve the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you so much for this reminder, and maybe for some of us, it's, some parts of it are new, of, of, of how awesome our Savior Jesus is, uh, how, how glorious, how supreme, how exalted, uh, eternal, and, and almighty, and the King, and so on, so much here today. Uh, we worship you, and we thank you for that, Lord. Uh, I want to pray for all of us that you will help us to do, maybe even these three things I just talked about here at the end, help us to turn away from anything that undermines that. If there's anything in any of our lives that is where we're in danger of exalting something even close to where Jesus is, uh, even close to his level. I I pray you would convict us of that, show us of that, and help us to turn from it. We pray that you would help us to be people who live lives of worship, not just in the the five or six uh, songs we sing on a Sunday morning, but but all through the week in our hearts, in our words, in our actions. And Lord, help us to be people who serve you uh, in word and in deed, in uh, in whatever offices we hold, whatever... uh, roles to which we're called in all of it. May we have that mindset of serving you. And it's in Jesus' name we ask all this. Amen.